Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Here we go with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm on this Friday afternoon. It looks like we're going to make it mostly into another college football weekend. Obviously, we've got a couple of games in the SEC that have been postponed. The Missouri-Vanderbilt game, which was to be played in Nashville, has been postponed because of Vanderbilt COVID issues, uh, Florida LSU because of an outbreak within the Florida program has been postponed. There's been all this discussion over the last couple of days about, well, what's going to happen with Alabama and Georgia? And the answer is they're going to play football because the head coach of one of the teams and the athletic director of one of the teams has got COVID. That doesn't really affect the fact that uh, you got plenty of players on both teams to go out and play the football game. And so it looks as if Georgia and Alabama are going to play. We've not gotten any uh, further word that uh, the issues for Ole Miss have gotten any worse. Uh, as far as I know, I'm sitting in Fayetteville, Arkansas right now, actually in Rogers, Arkansas, just outside of Fayetteville. And uh, I'm at the team hotel, and there are about five buses lined up outside, I guess, waiting to go pick them up at the uh, airport at well. So it looks like we're going to have five college football games this weekend. This is Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. If you want to be part of the show, you can do so on the C Spire text line. That number is 601-879-4395. Richard Cross, Brian Haydad, and Michael Borky, glad to be with you. Fellas, what's up on a Friday? You know, so even though COVID is not affecting this game, you know what this game will affect? Which game? Alabama-Georgia. Nick Saban's uh, head coaching record, regardless of outcome, it goes against his record, even though technically he is not the head coach at the football game on Saturday. It will, if they lose, be the first time, technically, a Saban assistant has beaten him in a game, even though he'll be at home bothering Miss Terry. 21-0 and all-time against former assistants. He has never lost to a former assistant. Kirby is the head coach at Georgia. That is obviously a former assistant. Why is it that this will count against Nick Saban if Georgia were to win, if he is not actually coaching the game? Uh, there's some kind of rule, actually, that makes it so. It's like, okay. a, like if a coach gets – I know it's not exactly the same thing because yelling at an ump, and getting COVID are two different things, but it's like if a coach gets run in the first inning, the win and loss still counts on his record. If he is still the head coach of that team, it is still his team, technically. It's, okay. it's very simple like that. Does that make sense to you, Mr. Haydad? No, not really. <laughs> because, I mean, the guy, in Borky's example there, right, the coach started the game. He was at right. the game. You know, he... Uh, uh, yeah, he, he did something that got him thrown out. You know, it's, it should go on his record. He this was the coach story. of record 
to start yeah, the ball when the game. game started. And in this situation, it's not the same. So I don't, I don't get that. If if a coach missed, let's say, you know, Coach Cross there, his wife has has a uh, his. Let's say he's got a family member that's sick, or a family member, you know, his wife is pregnant. And he's going to miss a game for the delivery of his child. Does that go on his record? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. So Alabama, Whoever the coach can, is that starts the game should get the 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 the, the notation. So Alabama can actually petition the NCAA if they would like. <laughs> they will. They lose. If he loses, then they're petitioning the NCAA. But if they win, it's Nick Saban's. Well, and and other than, I mean, I don't even know what record books this matters in, really. I mean, other than that's something that Alabama includes in its game notes and ESPN talks about and we talk about and, and whatnot. And you know that as it is talked about going forward, regardless of win or loss, there will be an asterisk by this game in particular. Uh, Nick Saban did not coach in the game, but NCAA records dictate blah, 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 whatever it is. So, I, I look, I mean, you, you want to talk about a, a great big nothing burger. That, that's what this is. It doesn't matter think one about way the- or the uh, other. We have two league championship series that are one game away from ending. First of all, tip of the cap, yesterday for the Pearl River Resort pick of the day, Brian Haydad gave you the Atlanta Braves plus 190. That's a heck of a payday. You dropped $100 on that game. You won 190 on it with the Braves winning it straight up as underdogs on the money line. Haydad was so confident that Clayton Kershaw would lay an egg in the postseason. And while... I don't know that you would necessarily say that he laid an egg. He didn't have an inning like the Braves had in game three of this series where he gave up 11 in the top of the first. He did only make it five innings in the game. Kershaw went five innings, gave up seven hits, allowed four earned runs, struck out only four, and for a guy who is a dominant strikeout pitcher, one walk, that's not uh, a big enough number, and he took the L in the game, outdueled by Bryce Wilson, of all people. So is that real then? Uh, because you guys are the baseball guys more so than me. I, I, I saw a lot of joking last night. Playoff Kershaw, playoff Kershaw, and I know that he has underperformed in the playoffs before. Is narrative becoming reality with him? If it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's a duck. Yes, he's not a good postseason pitcher. Great regular yeah. season pitcher, not a good postseason pitcher. Yeah. I mean, he, he, you know, one of the most dominant opening day guys we've ever seen. It's like when he walks out for his first start in the first week of April, it's like go ahead and put the W in the left-hand column, and, you know, he's going to go double-digit strikeouts, and he's going to go seven innings in a game, and he's going to throw 95 pitches. But, uh, look, I mean, the the numbers are real, right? I mean, he has – he's lost some pretty clutch games, and that was – oh, man, how important was that game with with the Braves leading 2-1 to in the series – and the Dodgers coming off a dominating performance in Game 3, if that thing goes to 2-2 with Kershaw winning yesterday, You're in trouble. then you, you think at that point it's trouble for the Braves, right? Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. But at, at 3-1 with the offensive firepower that Atlanta's got, and that was on full display again last night. Braves win the game 10-2, 10 runs on 14 hits last night. And the Braves blew it open. It was a 1-1 game going into the bottom of the sixth inning. Kershaw did not record an out in the bottom of the sixth. Braves got six in the sixth, one in the seventh, two more in the eighth, and they cruised to the win. 
Ronald Acuna Jr. goes two for four with a couple of runs scored. Freddie Freeman was two for five. He drove in a couple of runs. Marcelo Zuna, monster night for him as the DH. And remember, the DH is permanent in the playoffs this year. Four for five, three runs scored. He drove in four in the ball game. Ozuna had two home runs last night for Atlanta. And uh, this Braves team is fun. I mean, they are fun up and down. And you think about what they're doing with what they've lost this year in terms of pitching. The guys that at the beginning of the year that they were gonna that they thought were going to be at the front end of the rotation haven't pitched basically for the entire season. And yet the Braves have still been really, really good. And you've seen the emergence of some new young stars, especially on the mound. Nobody more than Ian Anderson, who has just been spectacular for Atlanta throughout this season. Been good. Been good. And now the Braves are on the precipice. The the We'll see what happens in the ALCS, but you know we might might get a couple of new faces. I guess the you know not really new faces; they've been there before, but it's been a while. Yeah, it, it has been. It's been a long time. Nineteen ninety nine since the Braves have even made it to a league championship series, and here we are sitting in twenty twenty. So twenty one seasons since the uh, the Braves have made it this far. Also, Tampa Bay and Houston has uh, Tampa Bay within one win of getting to the World Series. They are up three games to two over Houston. Houston has won the last two in walk-off fashion yesterday with a Carlos Correa home run and a little bit of momentum with Houston, but still Tampa Bay's only got to get one of the next two to advance to the World Series. Now, that particular World Series matchup, Tampa Bay against Atlanta, I'm not sure that that does a whole lot for the uh, for the folks at Fox in terms of television ratings, but it would be regionally really fascinating, and that is two good baseball teams. Tampa yeah. Bay, I mean, you're, you're talking about a, a market where fans don't go to the games. Their their home market television ratings have already been good, but they play in a terrible ballpark where nobody shows up for the games, and they are one win from getting to the World Series. Maybe, you, you, maybe the Yankees should try to be more like them. Maybe so. And, you know, Tampa Bay does it in this weird way. I mean, it's not where they've got, you know, three stud starters that take you seven innings into the game. I mean, they're they're all about a, a really deep bullpen. They've got a bullpen that's got, what, 10, 12 guys that can pump it in the low 90s, and that's just what they do. And they just roll them out there one after another, after another, after another. If you can't beat them, join them. That's what the Giants have done. They hired the uh, their GM, used to work for the Dodgers. Not a terrible idea. So, uh, although I'm not sure I want to trade rosters either. As a, a Yankees fan with Tampa Bay, no, no, probably not. You get everybody healthy. Yeah, if everybody could stay healthy, look out. All of a sudden, the uh, Yankees would be uh, hard to deal with. There has been an issue with that in recent years. We've got a lot coming up with you this afternoon as we roll through the uh, show. We're going to talk with uh, Luke Johnson, who will get us up to date on some news out of Hattiesburg that is not what anybody wanted to hear. Southern Miss will not be playing that game on ESPN two tomorrow night in El Paso against UTEP. Uh, Bruce Marshall will join us from the Gold Sheet to uh, get his thoughts on some of the games that are coming up this weekend involving SEC teams. And then our uh, high school roundup will happen with uh, Will East and Stephen Gagliano later in the 4 o'clock hour. Two questions, we'll make picks, and a whole lot more. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. All right, mentioned it just a second ago. Saturday's football game between Southern Miss and Utah is uh, UTEP. UTOP, UTEP, whatever you prefer. The University of Texas at El Paso has been postponed 
due to COVID-19 cases in the Golden Eagles program. Here was the statement from Southern Miss Athletic Director Jeremy McClain. The health and safety of everyone involved continues to be our guiding force, which made this decision to postpone the game the appropriate one. We are disappointed for our student-athletes who will not get a chance to participate for a second straight weekend. However, we will work with UTEP in conjunction with Conference USA to reschedule this game for later this season. Southern Miss last week was uh, scheduled to host Florida Atlantic. That was postponed because of coronavirus issues with FAU. New dates for uh, the games last week and this week have uh, have not yet been announced. That's a bummer for them, especially given uh, we talked with Luke about the fact that it felt like Southern Miss was kind of getting healthy, and they finally had a little bit of momentum, right? I mean, the uh, the win at North Texas two weeks ago, looking forward to getting back on the field last week against FAU, that did not happen through no fault of their own. And now this week at Southern Miss, it's got COVID issues causing the uh, postponement of this game. I guess, guys, this is just kind of the reality of the 2020 season, and it's a reality that we talked about coming into the year. We said there were going to be issues. What is it? Um, are we up to six games this weekend kind of across the country that have been postponed? Is that right? Yeah, it's at least, yeah. I know it was at five yesterday, and that was before the uh, the announcement of uh, – uh, of this postponement in Conference USA. So in terms of, let's see, I think we've got them here, games that are postponed. You've got Oklahoma State Baylor, Cincinnati Tulsa, LSU Florida, Southern Miss UTEP, Vandy Missouri, and FIU Charlotte. Charlotte has had a number of issues both with their team and with their opponents. So you have six games this weekend that have been postponed, and it's easy to kind of get wrapped up in the games that have been postponed. That would be the way you look at this thing if you are a glass-half-empty type person. And I'm not knocking you if you, you look at that and go, wow, six games postponed because of COVID issues. But the other part of this is you've got, what, 29, 30 games that are going to happen, and that's still without the Big Ten and the MAC and the Pac-12 and the Mountain West and the other leagues that have not even started yet. So... You know, you've got, what, over, what, six out of 40? I'm not the best math guy. I mean, we've got 75% of the games this weekend that are being played. And it feels like maybe that's the positive way to look at it. I know that a lot of people don't necessarily look at it that way. But I choose to, and I think you guys choose to as well. We, we've got a lot going on, and there's some fun matchups that are happening this weekend. Yeah. I mean, this is what it was going to be the whole time, like you said. And and the smart leagues, the leagues that thought this through and were patient and did the right things, have built in the room to, to, to take care of this, and they'll get these games played one way or the other. So, yeah, there's still plenty of great college football. First off, as I always say, any college football is great college football. It doesn't really matter what the game is. But, yeah, there's still great games across the country, and then, you know, we're two weeks, what, a week, two weeks away from picking up the Big Ten? I mean, it's just going to get keep getting better, and it's going to. I feel like you know, we're on the right path. Two games tonight involving top twenty-five teams. A five o'clock kickoff in New Orleans. Number seventeen SMU is at Tulane. Shane Buchel is the quarterback. The former Texas quarterback is the quarterback for SMU. He has thrown for thirteen hundred twenty-six yards and ten touchdowns in four games this year. He's fun to watch, and that's an SMU program that uh, undefeated has been fun to watch for the last couple of years. 
And then a late game, an 8.30 Central Time kickoff on ESPN for number 14 BYU, who is undefeated at 4-0, and Houston, who is playing just their second game of the year. We talked a little bit yesterday, I guess it was, about Zach Wilson, quarterback for BYU, who is completing passes at an 80% clip. He's 82 of 101 for the year, 1,241 yards, eight touchdowns. Here's what's fascinating to me about this game. People look at BYU go, man, that's a fun team. That's a good team. Well, let's talk about what BYU's done so far. You remember on Labor Day night, they just absolutely smoked Navy, 55-3. to Navy at times has looked good this year, but at times they've looked brutal. I mean, they got drilled by the Air Force Academy, what was it, two weekends ago in a game where Air Force was down like 20 players. The Week 2 game against number 22 Army, which would have been a really fascinating game to watch because of how Army was playing at the beginning of the year, was postponed because of COVID issues. BYU beat Troy 48-7. They beat Louisiana Tech 45-14 and then had a close win last week, 27-20, against UTSA. Remaining schedule after tonight for BYU. Texas State, Western Kentucky, Boise State, North, uh, North Alabama, and San Diego State. This is probably, outside of Boise State and San Diego State, but, but maybe even with those two, this is probably the biggest challenge left on BYU's schedule. So here's my question. If BYU manages to go undefeated, they don't lose a game this year, and they've got a win against Navy, a win against Houston, a win against Boise State, and a win against San Diego State to go with their other games, is that good enough in your mind to have BYU in the conversation, currently ranked 14th, for one of the spots in the college football playoff? Think so? Hard sure. Enough. Why not? Sure. Why not? It's a crazy year. Let's do it. They're ma- they, they're manhandling the teams they play for the most part. I they think. beat I mean, UTSA they, by seven last week. Other than that, they they're, they I think they could they could they I don't other in the playoff probably not. But other than not in the they're probably they're not going to get in the playoff. I'm not too worried about that. But they definitely deserve that. You know, they can get in the group of five bowl game and 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 see who they can wreak havoc on. You know what's interesting though. That's that. BYU technically does not get the automatic spot if they are the highest ranked non power five team. It's the highest ranked group of five team. BYU is technically not a part of the group of five because they are a division one independent. They right. do not have That's conference right, yeah. affiliation, and so they will have to get in based on their own merits and their ranking when those New Year's Six Bowl games are filled. That's a little bit of a complicating factor for BYU, and I don't think that's being talked about enough. It's not complicated. Uh, They wouldn't belong in the college football playoff. College football playoff, I agree. It's very, very simple. I'm with you. Hard no on that. Even an undefeated BYU team, if they're impressive the rest of the way and they've got a quarterback that puts great numbers up. Yeah, they're not in the top four. They're not in the top four, but – an undefeated BYU team, I do believe, would deserve to be in one of those access bowls. Yes. Yes. 100%. And okay. then get smoked by Georgia. And just remind us all why they don't belong. Okay. But Fair they deserve that opportunity just like Memphis did last year and so yeah. on. I'm absolutely fine with them being at that table, but it's more like 
the 14-year-old gets upgraded from the kids' table at Thanksgiving to the adults' table, but they really can't contribute to the conversation, but they are too old for the kids' table. And and he still spills his iced tea. Exactly. That's what BYU (laughs) would be in this scenario. It's always the group of five team you don't think has a chance that, that ends up being sneaky. Like, when Central Florida played Auburn, I was like, okay. I mean, it's over now, guys. This has been a fun little story, but it's over. And they beat Auburn. And then was it Houston that, you know, beat up on Florida State a few years ago? You know, sometimes, We saw Utah you know, then, do it against Alabama when Utah was still part of the group yeah. of five, and we've seen and Boise State year, win twice in the Fiesta Bowl. Last year with Memphis, I, I went into that game thinking they, they could possibly beat Penn State, and they got hammered. So just, 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 just be aware that sometimes when you think you know, you don't know on, on these weird games because you get a team like, let's say you get a team like Georgia who's going to be disappointed they're not playing in the playoff. And you get a team like BYU who's like, this is our moment. We could do this. And you, and you end up with those kind of results sometimes. Yeah, well, I don't know if you guys watched them or not. Hey, Dad, you said you might watch some last night with Arkansas State and Georgia, uh, Georgia State. We've had two midweek games this week, one of them involving a top 25 team with uh, Louisiana hosting Coastal Carolina. Coastal Carolina got to 4-0. and They gave Louisiana their first loss. Probably will knock the Raging Cajuns out of the top 25. I, I don't know. Maybe Coastal Carolina deserves to get that spot in the top 25. They win it 30-27. to 27. And then last night, just a game that was fun. Lane Hatcher for Arkansas State goes 21 of 28. He throws for 332 yards, four touchdowns in the game. And Arkansas State wins a shootout 59-52. This game was 28-28 at halftime, and the second half didn't disappoint. As Arkansas State outscored Georgia State 17-14 in the third quarter, 14-10 in the fourth quarter. Hey, Dad, did, did you watch some of it, any of it? I, I saw a little bit of it, and it was all very exciting. My kind of game. There you go. They were at about 18% capacity, had about 6,000 people in a old 35,000 or so seat stadium there in uh, in Jonesboro last night. So two games tonight with SMU Tulane, BYU Houston, and then we get into a big slate tomorrow that's got a bunch of interesting games in the early time slot. The 11 a.m. kickoff slot has got one, two, three, four, uh, four ranked teams playing in the early time slot tomorrow. So that'll be a fun way to start the college football Saturday. We will be back when we return. Luke Johnson will join us. Got a question on the ceasefire text line from Hogman. It says Hogman wants to know how windy it is in northwest Arkansas. Here was my response. As of lunchtime today, not very. I'm not exaggerating when I say it is the most beautiful day that I have ever experienced in northwest Arkansas outside of maybe baseball in the month of May. And it's supposed to be sunny and 71 tomorrow, but there is an expectation of pretty significant wind, like sustained 20-mile-an-hour winds out of the south tomorrow. So I guess that could uh, could play a factor in this ballgame tomorrow between uh, Ole Miss and the Arkansas Razorbacks. It's supposed to be a beautiful day tomorrow in Starkville as well as Mississippi State is hosting Texas A&M. 3 o'clock kickoff for that game will now be televised on ESPN. Hey, Dad, I know it's gorgeous today in Starkville. Supposed to get down to 38 tonight. Tomorrow, high of 69, low of 48. No chance of rain. It's going to be absolutely spectacular. It's that time of year. It's time for the leaves to start turning. The brisk 
wind to get a little crisper and real football weather to start taking place. I like it. So from northwest Arkansas, where we're talking about the weather, and east-central Mississippi, where we're talking about the weather, to the southern part of the state of Mississippi, where we thought Southern Miss was going to be jumping on an airplane today and heading to El Paso, Texas. Luke Johnson, who joins us, he is co-host of the Eagle Hour on Super Talk Hattiesburg and Super Talk Laurel, former player at Southern Miss. And uh, Luke, a little disappointing to get that news today that there will not be football in El Paso tomorrow because now Southern Miss has an issue with COVID. After a week ago, it was their opponent, FAU, that had to have their game postponed because of COVID. Well, I mean, you get a national televised audience. You get Tim Jones back. uh, You get a Hmm. few extra days to prepare for your opponent. And you have a little momentum. And it all gets pulled out under the rug. gets pulled out from under you. Uh, Today, yeah, Southern Miss uh, tested some last night and and I think even uh, a little bit this morning, and it was just a last-second call. Really, nothing you could do about it. And uh, on, it's obviously the COVID issues on the Southern Miss side, but we learned today the city of El Paso had like 800 new cases of COVID uh, also. So, you know, it, it's for the best. It's extremely disappointing. I know a lot of Golden Eagle fans were looking forward. Uh, we talked to some Conference USA uh, personnel this week. They were excited whenever one of their games gets bumped up to a national broadcast. And, mm-hmm. yeah, just unfortunate. And, and I think the other aspect to it is, you know, when when is when do you have to start making a decision about Scotty Walden? I mean, he doesn't get to field a team two weeks in a row. And certainly I don't think that helps his chances, you know, of possibly being retained. So it just kind of stinks all the way around. Yeah, certainly, uh, certainly it does. I- I'm assuming that you don't know the answer to this question, but I will ask it anyway. I- any details in terms of numbers or names uh, of guys that uh, are, are COVID-19 positive that caused this? Is it as much about contact tracing as it is uh, about actual positive tests? What-, what do we know? Yeah, I-, I think it was just some, from what I've heard, and nothing, no specifics have, have been released. Nothing's official. It just seems sure. as if they were going to be too thin at depth at some positions as well as just kind of across the board. And you look back to North Texas game, you can you can kind of see that they were missing some personnel that possibly had to do with COVID also. And uh, just unable to, to be able to have the right amount of depth. Uh, but I, I do think it was not only position-related, but just kind of across the board as well. Gotcha. Um so now it'll be two weeks to get ready for the uh, for the next opponent, but a little bit different in terms of preparation because if you didn't have enough guys to play, that means you've got guys that probably can't practice for the next week, week and a half either. And so while it's a, a one-week issue, in reality it has the potential to be more than a one-week issue. And that was the thing. The guys that, that apparently were COVID positive for the North Texas game, they would have been out last week against FAU also. So – it's that delicate balance, and again, you know, the university, uh, obviously for, uh, you know, privacy reasons, won't release who it is, and nobody does that. But So, yeah, you just have to wait and see against Liberty who's out there. But I did feel like this week that Southern Miss was getting some guys back, um, and not just Tim Jones on the injury front, but there were a couple names that were out from North Texas, and you didn't get any specified injuries, so you had to assume possibly that was COVID-related. And they were looking to play tomorrow night. Um, one thing that, that Russ Anderson, the uh, the Associate Commissioner of Conference USA, he broke this on the Eagle Hour uh, this week, and then Conference USA released the media release later on Tuesday. They have moved the championship game back into December the 18th. They moved it back two weeks. Okay. And so they're giving Conference USA teams the weekend of December 5th 
and the weekend of December 12th to make up both conference and possible non-conference games. And so Southern Miss, with missing FAU and UTEP, hope to at least get one of those in those open two weekends now. Yeah, and that's good news, and I mean, that kind of will line the Conference USA Championship game, assuming we're able to get to that point and we're able to have Conference Championship weekend. It's going to kind of get them in line with most of the other conferences with what they're doing, whether it's the SEC, who kind of scheduled it that way from the beginning, the ACC, who said it was either going to be on the 12th or the 19th, their Conference Championship game, and now you look at the uh, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 and the Big 12 and you know whatnot, the, those teams which are starting later, kind of going to be playing on that weekend as well. So that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, and it also on, on a bowl front, and again, we're just, we want to play next week. We're not concerned about bowls right now, but, you know, you would think that the two teams that would appear in the bowl game, they would at least get a post-Christmas bowl game, even possibly closer to New Year's, simply because you couldn't turn around and play a, a bowl game in four days, you know. So a December 18th, uh, gives you at least it's the weekend before Christmas or a full seven days before Christmas. So I think it helps the uh, the two teams that play in that game also with with their ball opportunities. Yeah, uh, Luke Johnson on the radio. Not only does he cover Southern Miss, he uh, works for us and with us at Super Talk Mississippi on the high school front. Anything happening uh, where you are tonight? I know you had some COVID issues on the high school front a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, we did. West Jones was quarantined. Um, we covered junior college last night. Jones College uh, got beat in the last minute against Hines. And, but, yeah, big one tonight in Jones County. It's a game that I grew up playing in. West Jones at Laurel. And for your SEC uh, listeners out there, uh, we will be playing between the bricks tonight in Laurel where Alec Fox played his high school days for Gardner High School. We'll be between the bricks. The oldest lighted stadium in Mississippi starting in 1929. I, I don't know if a lot of LSU people or even State and Ole Miss people realize Alec Box uh, graduated from from uh, in Laurel, Mississippi in high school. But we'll be between the bricks, a uh, big Region 3-5A matchup. This is the game uh, last week, Xavier Evans against, uh, against Natchez. He ran for 404 yards, six touchdowns for, for uh, Laurel. Um, West Jones beat a, a good Taylorsville team, a really good Taylorsville team in, in a non-region matchup. And so... Uh, it's going to be a. I think West Jones is going to have to try to keep uh, Xavier Evans obviously off the field and Alan Follis, who who will play college football next year somewhere, quarterback for West Jones. He'll have to do something to move the ball. But tornadoes are really good between the bricks. And uh, growing up as a West Jones Mustang, you always circle this one on your calendar. So it should be fun between the bricks tonight. And, and you got the name right, Alec Box, as opposed to Alex Box, is how so many people pronounce it. Uh, of course, that's who LSU's baseball stadium is named for. There's a uh, a really neat story about Alec Box and uh, his role fighting for the United States as a member of the military and uh, pretty uh, pretty outstanding athlete as well. Uh, you mentioned the junior college last night. Uh, Hines beat Jones College, as you mentioned, 18-16. You had Northeast beating Kahoma 13-10. Northwest getting uh, their game in 16-14 over Itawamba. Pearl River 28-21 over East Central. There's one game tomorrow with uh, Mississippi Delta and Holmes. Actually, that game has been postponed. It was uh, supposed to be played tomorrow, but uh, has been postponed. A lot of low-scoring games this uh, midweek or, or last night in the uh, the JUCO ranks across the state of Mississippi. It was it was a defensive struggle last night in in Raymond. We uh, Jones was up sixteen to nothing, and Hines just chipped away. In the last minute of the game, Hines threw a pass, fifty three yard touchdown, where the receiver actually stepped out of bounds. Two officials missed it. They go in uh, to tie it. Jones blocks the PAT to keep 
the Chiefs stay up by one. Hines kicks an onside kick, gets it, and drives down and kicks a field goal with six seconds left and, and defeated Jones. It was a it was a big gut punch <laughs> for the Bobcats, but we had fun calling it on Super Talk Laurel. You know, if you're a Southern Miss fan tomorrow, I guess the question is, what do you do? Like everybody else, I'm going to be watching Alabama-Georgia because, uh, obviously, Todd Munkin's the OC, but I think uh, people don't realize Pete Golding actually coached under Todd Munkin uh, hmm. in 14 and 15, was a part of that nine-win team in 2015. So it's a little Southern Miss connection tomorrow night in the big game. So Pete Golding, the defensive coordinator at Alabama, Todd Munkin, the offensive coordinator at Georgia, that will uh... – that's the one that a lot of eyeballs are going to be on tomorrow night. Luke, enjoy your weekend. I know you uh, would rather be uh, really locked in on the Golden Eagles, but we'll have to wait at least another week until we get that. Bye, guys. See you later. Luke Johnson, co-host of the Eagle Hour on Super Talk Laurel and Super Talk Hattiesburg. Always uh, good to visit with us. We'll take a timeout. An interesting statement has been released by the University of Alabama. No. The game is not in question, but will Nick Saban actually be on the sidelines this weekend? We'll get to that when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi. All right, so this statement from the University of Alabama comes from Jeff Allen, who is the trainer. I think he's the head trainer and maybe over the uh, medical department at uh, Alabama for athletics. Lyle Kane is the team physician, but I think Jeff Allen is the uh, the team uh, trainer. Here's the statement. Coach Saban was evaluated again today by Dr. Robinson. He continues to be asymptomatic and without fever. We are continuing to follow the SEC return to activity and medical guidance task force protocol for testing asymptomatic positives. A PCR test was repeated Thursday by the SEC-appointed lab, and was negative. For clarification, the initial positive result came from an outside lab we've used to supplement the SEC mandated testing. He will continue to remain in isolation and receive daily PCR tests. Should he have three negative PCR tests through the SEC appointed lab, each 24 hours apart, the initial test would be considered a false positive pursuant to SEC protocols and he would be allowed to return. So there is a possibility that Nick Saban will be on the sideline on Saturday night as head coach of the Alabama football team when they play Georgia. Possible. First of all, that would be a great thing because uh, Nick Saban, uh, although he was asymptomatic to begin with, uh, an older man getting COVID, you know, there's a little bit more concern there, so it's great that he doesn't have it. That's awesome. Also, it's great that he would be able to coach his team because that makes... I mean, it's a huge game. I want both teams to be at full strength. That's also great. Uh, Two things, though. Number one, if you can take three consecutive tests after a positive, and if they're all negative, it's deemed a false positive, you should also be able to test out of close contact quarantine. That's number one. If you're in close contact with somebody and you, after a few days, turn out negative test three days in a row, you should be allowed to play. You shouldn't have to sit out two weeks. Agreed. And also, boy, does Christine Brennan look really stupid today. Well, I mean... <laughs> Nick that's... Saban was facing an opponent he couldn't beat. Oh, wait! In, in related Oops. news, the day ends with why, and the sun <laughs> did Never come up Nick this Saban morning. Never tell Nick Saban he can't beat somebody. My God, he'll just show up to do I mean... it. 
And the, all those columns that came out that you talked about yesterday, those only were written because Nick Saban had it. And it turns out, nope. So Maybe he I doesn't. Had, I had the impression just that I thought this was going to end up being a false positive. Saban has been so adamant about wearing a mask and doing everything the right way and following all the protocols. I mean, he was doing that stuff back in April before a lot of people were doing it. So I was just surprised that he that he was positive. And the fact that it's a false positive possibly doesn't really surprise me. Well, and I think it is important to, in that statement, look at the fact that it was a different testing uh, outfit. Yeah. So, so the SEC has its mandated testing that is happening, what, three times a week, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and or whatever the days are. I guess Sundays after a game and then Tuesdays and Thursdays again. Yeah. And and those are the kind of the, the mile markers along the road each week in being able to, to play. Alabama is one of the schools that has chosen to go to everyday testing, we think, and that is outside of the lab that is doing the SEC testing. I don't remember the name. There was a, a name for the company that they were using to administer all of that, but not important. So this is supplemental testing that Alabama is doing that shows up positive, but in the league-mandated testing, he has shown up negative. So, what, he tested positive on Tuesday, right? Yes. Or maybe that was the results that came back, for, whenever. So they would have had league-mandated testing on Sunday, and then they would have gotten supplemental testing on Monday, and then those results came back on Tuesday after lunch. So he would have had, since testing positive, they would have gone to every day on the PCR testing for Nick Saban. And so if he tested negative on Wednesday and negative on Thursday, and he tests negative today as well, then stands the reason that you're going to see Nick Saban. I do agree, Borky. I think you make a really good point, though. If you test positive as a player or as a coach, then you're out, what, minimum of 10 days, but the the it, it's minimum of 10 days, but you've got to have three negatives, right? I believe so, yes. And so that's what we're talking about with Nick Saban, although the 10-day minimum looks like it's not going to apply there. It's going to be three negative tests, which would rule the original test, which was not mandated by the SEC as a false positive. But... If you are ruled out because of close contact, then I guess because of the incubation period they're factoring in, it's two weeks. And unless something has changed, and maybe it has and we just haven't been made aware of it, you can't test positive or test out of close contact negative tests. I haven't seen that information anywhere. I don't think any of us have. So, interesting story. Don't count out Nick Saban. Don't count out Nick Saban. Bruce Marshall will join us on the Farm Bureau phone line when we come back. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Start of the 4 o'clock hour on a beautiful Friday afternoon rolling into a college football weekend. We always visit on Fridays at this time with Bruce Marshall from the Gold Sheet. He's joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team at Mississippi Farm Bureau. Bruce, what's up? 
Hey, man, uh, hope they can play these games this weekend. It's looking pretty good now. Most of them are going to go. So uh, that's another different thing about 2020. We're kind of holding our breath. But it looks like a goal for most of these games this weekend. Yeah, I mean, it looks like six games at this point have been postponed. And then uh, pretty interesting news in the last little bit that uh, we could potentially see Nick Saban actually on the sideline. Uh, I can't remember if I ask you about this, but how does this whole they're going to play, they're not going to play – and who's positive and who's not positive factor into the way that you guys are handicapping games this year? Yeah, it's made it just it's had another curveball or two or three into the mix here. Um, but you know, you're just at, usually we make it a decision on which what we like earlier in the week, and uh, it's just we're hanging on a little bit more for the ride with some of the stuff that comes on, like the Coach Saban thing that came out of the blue this week, and it did drop the number. Uh, a little bit right after that announcement was made. So, um, you know, we're just kind of riding the wave here and just taking the game by game. So let's start with that game. Big one tomorrow night on CBS, 7 o'clock kickoff for number three, Georgia, number two, Alabama. Georgia, uh, I don't think there's a whole lot of argument, seems to have the best defense in the SEC. Alabama, uh, probably the best offense in the SEC. This is one of those games where something's got to give. Crimson Tide, four-and-a-half-point favorite at home. Yeah, Rich, reminds me a little bit of the SEC title game last year, saying the same things about Georgia LSU. Georgia had the defensive edge. LSU hadn't seen a defense like that. And you saw what happened in the game. LSU won by 27 points. Uh, it used to be in these sort of situations, a default recommendation would always be, well, defenses win championships. We'll go with a better defensive team. I don't know modern college football if you can do that anymore. And I think a lot of the Alabama's poor defensive stats – has something to do with the pace of their games and the fact they're scoring so quick. And it's just got the defense out there quicker, and there's more urgency with the other teams against Alabama. If you give Kirby Smart Alabama's defense, I bet the numbers aren't that much worse than what Georgia's defense is doing right now. So the bottom line is I don't know that there's that much of a difference like the stats suggest between these defenses. It's offensive pace. And I don't know that Georgia can keep pace uh, with Alabama. And Stetson Bennett's done very good uh, thus far, and I know they were able to come back on Tennessee and dominate, but they're not going to they're not going to shut Alabama out in the second half. That was Mac Jones completed eighty percent, and uh, you saw Najee Harris run wild last week. Uh, I think Alabama gets them thirty two eighteen. And by the way, Coach Saban, you're going to get a couple of extra points here for Bama taking it. And listen, if it's Vince Lombardi, they used to say this. His work was done before he got to the weekend during the games. You know, he plugged it in. His, his assistant coaches were doing most of the coaching. And I think Alabama is so well coached. It doesn't matter if Sarkeesian or Saban calls the shots tomorrow night. All right. So I got Alabama covering the number, winning it by two touchdowns. In Starkville, Texas A&M is a five-point favorite. The total in this game is interesting to me at 55-and-a-half, just on the surface Given what A&M did against Florida last week, you would think, yeah, maybe, maybe you know, with what Mississippi State is capable of offensively, they just haven't done that in the last couple of weeks. What do you see when you look at this matchup between A&M and Mississippi State? Yeah, it is more perplexing than well, they're all kind of perplexing, uh, Rich. But uh, this one is a little bit more so because I think more with what Mississippi State has or hasn't done the last couple of weeks. I mean, the leach air rate is just grinding to a halt. But one thing we talked about right at the start with Mississippi State this year, we thought this defense would be a lot better than people gave it credit for, and it was because of what Leach did, bringing in Zach Arnett from San Diego State. He's running the Rocky Long defense there, the 3-3-5 looks. It's a little unorthodox. And the defense has actually played pretty well for Mississippi State. Kentucky didn't even get to 200 yards last week in that game. 
And I, you know, the question though is, is this offense ever going to perk up? I don't know. I, you are getting AM in a letdown spot here. I think it's a tricky game for AM and a light recommendation on Mississippi State updated score forecast 24 22. Uh, Aggies, but I'm like an under in this game a lot. I think in this case, the total is too high because I think the Mississippi State defense is getting underrated. And I think this game is going to be uh, sort of a, a, a slog actually uh, tomorrow in Starkville. All right, so you got uh, Texas A&M winning in a close and relatively low-scoring game. Uh, and, Bruce, we, in fairness, we have continued to give you credit. You're the first one. I mean, we talked about coaching staff throughout the season, but you're the one that three weeks ago said, guys, look at what Mississippi State's doing at coordinator. Rocky Long had a great system. Mike Leach went out and got this guy. It's something to keep an eye on. So uh, nice, uh, nice get there by you on that particular nugget. Yeah, we knew what Arnett could do because we'd seen it at San Diego State. So I think you know part of Mississippi State's offense is bogged down so much the last couple of weeks. It slowed the games down. But, yeah, Arnett's defense is pre- – at least that's performing up to park. Uh, the Leach offense, though, has not yet. So I think that maybe helps the under-recommendation tomorrow. We'll see. In terms of the spread, small number in Fayetteville, but the total is a big number. Ole Miss, a one-and-a-half-point favorite over Arkansas. The total in this game, 76-and-a-half. Obviously, Vegas has picked up on uh, on what Ole Miss has been able to do, and uh, I would say some respect here for uh, for Arkansas as well. Both of these teams, one and two, we're going to walk out of this game with either Ole Miss or Arkansas with two conference wins after four weeks. How do you break this one down, Bruce? Yeah, Rich, uh, I think Lane's actually doing a pretty good job, but I wonder about this this turbo pace. Uh, I mean, it looks like Tech Mobile watching Ole Miss play, and I, maybe that's the way they've got to do it, but I don't know that his defense is deep enough where it makes a lot of sense to keep doing that. They're going out on the field too quickly. The possessions are going too fast. They're either scoring or they're it's they're just the defense isn't taking enough time to rest and, and they just don't look good. They look tired and they're not making plays. I know Alabama's a great offense, but they didn't look that good against Kentucky. They didn't look that good against Florida. Uh, so I don't know. I really like what Sam Pittman's doing at Arkansas. I think he did great work with his hires at coordinator, getting Barry Odom to coordinate the defense and getting Kendall Blouse to coordinate the offense. Um, you can see they're not quite full throttle yet offensively, but Felipe Franks, his numbers are getting better each week. And I think this is Bryles as a play caller, very shrewd. He's not putting too much on Franks' plate. And that's what I thought Mullen might have done a little bit too much two years ago. Uh, Franks is much more effective uh, thus far. And Pittman, uh, Arkansas should have won that game last week, and they, they've covered the point spread all three games. Uh, so uh, we will see here. We took Arkansas 39-32. I guess that's a little bit under, but we like the Hawks side. Uh, they're betting Arkansas a little bit too, but that was a gold sheet key release on Arkansas tomorrow. All right, so you got Arkansas winning this one outright, 39-32, so wrong team favored. And just as an aside, if, if Ole Miss's offense scored in 59 seconds and then the defense had two weeks to get ready for the next possession, I still don't think it would be enough time, Bruce. <laughs> you might be right. You might be right. Just just, just uh, kind of going out on a limb there. I think it's all about uh, maximum advantage for the offense. Let, let's get to these other two games quickly in the SEC. South Carolina hosting Auburn. Auburn is a favorite in this ball game. This one feels like it is a really big deal for both of these head coaches. Yeah, it's a Jimmy Sexton game of the week. He's got both these guys. He's looking at the buyout clauses. <laughs> Especially for Will. 
I think South Carolina, I think Will's going to win some games this fall. You can go out nowadays at this transfer portal in college football and get some immediate help. And he did that, getting Colin Hill from Colorado State, a senior grad, fifth-year senior quarterback. He also brought Mike Bobo back into the SEC as the offensive coordinator from Colorado State. And look at what Hill's done thus far. He's had no interceptions in three games. And uh, Will's team is running the ball some with Kevin Howard as well. I, I kind of like South Carolina. I don't like what Gus has done thus far. I think Auburn could be on three if the refs helped a little bit. Um, uh, they got the Kentucky. They called that thing right at the end of the – Kentucky gets that TD at the end of the first half. They made up winning that game. We know what happened with Arkansas last week. I don't think Bo Nix is progressing as much. And I think Will's going to get them tomorrow. 27-24, we take South Carolina up there at Williams-Brice. Ooh, another wrong team favored, and then uh, Kentucky at Tennessee. Kentucky gets their first win last week, but they did it with about 150 yards of total offense against Mississippi State. Now they got to go to Rocky Top. Tennessee, six-and-a-half-point favorite, so just shy of a touchdown. Total is low in this one, only 46 in the uh, in the ball game. There was a time when that would have been a big number. That is not a big number in uh, in this era of college football. Who do you like, Tennessee or Kentucky? It isn't a big number, but in, in regard to these two teams, it might be. And by the way, this series, since Jerry Claiborne went into Knoxville and scored a 17-12 win with UK in 84, 36 years ago, Kentucky's only won this game twice uh, for the old barrel. Uh, so, I mean, this has been a big Kentucky, uh, Tennessee series, but the games have been close in recent years and lower scoring. 30 points total last year, 31 points total in 2018. I think that 46.5 is too high. Both these teams have uh, some playmakers on defense, very conscientious on defense, and they don't, they don't play at that turbo will miss style pace. I think this game is lower scoring. 20-17 to 17 Tennessee, our score forecast there, but we are taking uh, Kentucky Plus. But more than that, I actually like the under 46.5. I don't think they're going to get there tomorrow. You can get all of Bruce's picks at goldsheet.com, at donbest.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Bruce A. Marshall. Bruce, maybe my favorite segment of the week. Always enjoy visiting with you. We'll talk to you next Friday. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, Rich. Bruce Marshall from the Gold Sheet joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Borky's favorite fight song right there. He loves fight songs where you sing about the opponent. Oh, but the thing is, if you sung about the opponent, that would be fine. If every week you added, you know, goodbye to Mississippi State University or goodbye to Louisiana State, you know, if they added that and altered it every week, that actually would be kind of cool. But instead, they sing about a team that they are scared to play now. I don't think they're scared. No, they have no benefit. But just for the sake of me making fun of them, they're mm-hmm. scared to play them now. So what would it be like? Uh, saw the Bulldogs cowbells off. Saw the- <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Take a hacksaw to the cowbells? I, I don't know. Weld them together. Yeah. What'd you make of Bruce's a picks? double bell. You don't want that. No. No. Um. You surprised with what the he did with the Ole Miss Arkansas game? Yes. Yes. That I, I I like the over, but I don't think Arkansas is going to win. Seventy six and a half is such a big number. It is. Of course, there was a big number last week on Ole Miss Alabama, and it got shredded about True. Yeah. oh halfway through the third quarter. <laughs> and Arkansas does not have the personnel on defense that uh, Alabama does. More at eleven. Exactly. 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I would say more so than that. I mean, ne- never mind the personnel they've got on defense. I mean, I'm not sure that Ole Miss is going to score that much more than 48 on anybody. I mean, they left a, a couple of possessions out there with points on the board last week. But I don't think you're going to play a perfect game offensively. I would say Arkansas does not have the offensive personnel that Alabama had. And look, I know Ole Miss's defense can't has shown the ability not to stop anybody. But if you want to compare it to the Florida game, Arkansas doesn't have a Kyle Pitts. No. They don't have a um, Kendarius Tony. They've got okay players, but they don't have those yeah, but, two weapons. And Boyd's but back, look, so we'll see. But then I look at, at Kentucky. And they don't have those weapons either, and they had 35 in regulation and 41 overall. And that was all on the ground. Yeah, so I, I feel like it really doesn't matter who Ole Miss is playing. They're going to give up points. If they can manage... I, I agree with that, but in terms of the 63 that they gave up last week or the 51 yeah. that they gave up against Florida, I don't see that happening No, I don't with, see that uh, happening with Arkansas I see enough tomorrow. to get to the over. I think it's in, you know, we got two questions coming up later, you know, so hold on to your butts. But um, (laughs) if if Ole Miss can get two, just two stops in the first half, I think they win going away. Okay. You know that Ole Miss has not had the, uh, the ball to start the second half yet this year? And not only have they not had the ball to start the second half this year, they have not yet held an opponent from scoring on their last possession of the first half and their first possession of the second half. Ooh. That is a troubling trend. That's all bad. Everything you said was bad. And the first two did it in, in kind of walk-off fashion. So Florida scored as time was expiring to end the first half and then marched it down and scored to start the second half. Kentucky did the exact same thing. Alabama scored with a minute left, and then Ole Miss ran it twice, let the clock run out, and then Bama got it to start the second half and was successful there as well. Ole Miss has lost two of the coin toss. They lost the coin toss at home against Florida. And so Florida deferred. Ole Miss got the ball first. Ole Miss won the toss at Kentucky and elected to get the ball first to start the game. And then against... um, uh, against Alabama last week, Alabama won the toss. They deferred. Ole Miss got the ball to start the uh, the game. I, I will say this: in each of the last two games, when receiving the ball first, Ole Miss did march down on their opening possession and score. They did not do that against Florida, but you remember they kind of methodically moved it down the field, and then you had that weird deal where they reviewed a play, went yeah. to timeout, came back from commercial break, television missed three plays, and that draw drive just kind of stalled out, and uh, and I guess ultimately missed a field goal. On, uh, on that drive. So yep. Ole Miss has been pretty good out of the gates in terms of scripting and executing on that opening drive. I, I, I don't know that any of that really adds up to anything other than they're not getting stops on defense and the offense is pretty good. We'll, uh, we'll see. Borky, well, it's a stylistic I, I, thing with them. I, and that's, that's how Lane Kitchen uh, – Kitchen. <laughs> Lane Kitchen. Uh, keep your pots and pans in there. But – that's, I mean, he told you in the opening press conference, and it's actually coming to fruition, that that's how he's going to manage games. It's going to be fourth down and manageable. We're going for it. Uh, a chance to score a touchdown instead of a field goal, we'll do that. Go onside when we need to steal possession, we'll do that too. If you're willing to give us the football, we're going to take it, and we're going to score first. That's kind of, that's the mentality, that's how he manages games. It's forward thinking, it's 
And I thought the most important thing about that onside kick against Alabama is, you know, there are a lot of people, I mean, there was his predecessor that kicked a field goal against LSU on fourth and goal from the one to make it 28 to six instead of 28 to three. (laughs) It's... At the end of the day, you're trying to win a football. What are you saying, Morky? I'm saying you probably should go for it there. Um, But he, against Alabama, was not content with, well, hey, let's do whatever it takes to hang with them. If you're in that spot, let's try to win the uh, game, you know? And that's what that kind of call was. (laughs) That's a a far difference from his predecessor where where it was very, very conservative, which that works for some people just not at a place like Ole Miss, and, and Kiffin has embodied what he told you he was going to. Hey, Dad, I, I seriously doubt that you were listening to the post-game interview on the Ole Miss radio network last week when I <laughs> uh, I talked to Lane Kiffin. Uh, I, although, if you were in the car, you might have had it on. I, I don't know. I did um, not. No, I, I won't lie. But but Lane Kiffin said after the game, he's like, uh, we came here to win. We didn't come here to uh, not win or just uh, cover point spreads. Yeah. I don't know that I've, I thought it was interesting that he referenced point spreads. Well, did you see Stetson Bennett? No, what did he do? The first question he got after they beat um, after they beat Auburn or after they beat Tennessee was something about you know how do you think you played tonight? He said, "Well, you know we covered, so that's good." <laughs> nice. Little, little, little breaking news here. Uh, what you got? Stellinger reporting: three SEC schools fined for not adhering to COVID nineteen protocols. Tennessee. Do we know which ones? Tennessee, Texas A&M, and Ole Miss. Really? Yeah. So, Tennessee... The sideline reporter for Ole Miss was... What, what is this? No, I'm just kidding. I wore my mask, buddy. I absolutely <laughs> did. Uh, so, let's see. Tennessee, you had the uh, the images of... Yeah, what was he doing? He had so, the, so, the so, Jeremy house. Pruitt has the orange and white neck gaiter. And if you ever order a net gator, it's funny. They, they like, send a little instruction guide with it. And it shows you all the different possible ways that you can wear it. Like, you know, this is how you can tie it up in a ponytail. And he, he went with one of the, the ways. He had it pulled, you know, because the net gator, when it's stretched out, it's about, I don't know, it's probably 12 inches, probably, probably almost a foot in length. He had it pulled up over his head, like almost all the way down to his forehead, and then wrapping down around his neck. But his entire face was, was open which kind of defeats the purpose of wearing the gator to cover your mouth and your nose. Um, Jimbo, he's going to do what he wants to do. And apparently Lane Kiffin is going to do what he wants to do, but Lane Kiffin went with the bandana style face covering last week yeah. and, and almost was using it like a recruiting tool you know, he wore one for a while that had 10 and 18 on it as a as a tip of the cap to Archie and Eli. He wore one for a while that had, I think it was 38 on it for Patrick Willis, and then he had one for DK Metcalf on there for a while with uh, number four. For who? Well, I mean, Chucky Mullins. I think, though, that probably from a recruiting standpoint, it was more about. Okay. I, I don't, I mean, if you say 38 Ole Miss, that's not the first na- name that comes to my mind. I, I understand that. I, I, okay. And please. Please don't paint me as I just took a shot at Chucky Mullins because that's I know, not what I, I know, was no, doing. No, 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 would, would never do anything like that. I, I just that caught me off guard. Well, I thought, didn't Patrick Wills like, wear like a forty before he 49. won that award? Yeah, that, that's fair. the number I associate with him. Well, that's fair. He had an AJ Brown one as well that I don't 
But why is that what they find him for? That the mask wasn't good enough, or I, I don't know because I looked at say. him a couple of times and it was kind of like twisted off to the side, and you know, I I, I don't know. <laughs> Mike Leach did his thing one week. Uh, it, good for Mississippi State. One week too early. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was the genesis of the okay, we're going to find you memo, and then they find people for, I guess, not listening. So Ross Dellinger says the SEC fined at least three teams for not adhering to COVID-19 protocols, Ole Miss, A&M, and Tennessee. Ross Bjork confirmed to SI A&M's fine. Greg Sankey had sent memos to schools warning of a $100,000 reduction in conference revenue for noncompliance. $100,000, whole lot of money. Some people might say, well, but in the part, you know, as part of a $40 million check, is it really that much? It's a couple of rounds of uh, COVID testing that that covers. And uh, Ole Miss is not really in a position where they need to be giving away six figures of revenue at uh, any particular time. We'll see. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Will and Gags join us next. Back at it with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad. Time for us to talk a little high school football. Steven Gagliano joins us. Will East, kind enough to grace us with his presence this week as well. <laughs> the band is back together. The band is back together. What is up, fellas? Uh, it's getting down to it, uh, Richard. It's, uh, it's uh, what? Three weeks out from the end of regional play, or two That's weeks right. out, something like that. Uh, it's getting down to it, and you got some teams that, are, that have their their seats on fire. I mean, they have got to get going tonight. I'm, I'm thinking about teams like Pedal, who's taking on Northwest Rankin. They can't afford another loss. Uh, there's some big matchups that will decide who's the leader in the region. Uh, maybe the, the game of the night tonight, Richard, is Oxford taking on Horn Lake. There's a three-way tie atop. Um, the standings for uh, Region 1 of 6A. Horn Lake, a team that's really been a surprise so far. Uh, the biggest test tonight that they've had all season long uh, as they take on Oxford. When are you guys going to stop betting against the Chargers? I'm not betting against them. <laughs> I'm just saying. I think they're going to win tonight. I just, I, think just, there's, I just don't think there's a whole lot of respect for the reigning 6A champions. Uh, you know, the, all the, the talk about what them. they lost yeah. at the Geezes at Auburn, and it, all they've done is win, win, win. Speaking, the knock, the knock on them, of, though, is they just haven't played you know tough competition like some of the other 6A teams have. Speaking, but I think that changes tonight. Speaking of Pegues, did you guys see that highlight of his spin against Arkansas? I did not. Ooh. It'll be oh, uh, yeah. worth looking up on Twitter. He lined up as like a wildcat quarterback. And it's a proud moment for big men everywhere. <laughs> yeah. <I tell>. <laughs> he had a spin move. He had a hurdle. He got a first down. It was incredible. That's uh, it's kind of what he looked like on the uh, the high school football field a year ago. So, Will, you say, you know, kind of put up or shut up time for a lot of teams. I feel like in some ways we had this same conversation two weeks ago. But you were only two weeks into region play at that point. It was like, okay, people don't want to dig the hole any deeper. Some teams stopped digging. Some teams gave themselves a little bit of wiggle room. And there's some teams who find themselves in, as you were saying just a second ago, Seats on fire. You got no margin for error. You have to get it done if you want to be a playoff team. Madison Central is a prime example of that. Tonight they're okay. they're going to take on Starkville, the number one team in the state. Mm-hmm. Madison Central 
It's just not been the same without quarterback Tate Collins. They've got a good defense. They held uh, Warren Central on the road to just six points. Um, they lose that game eight to nothing. Uh, Warren Central had a safety in that game, um, but they scored zero points. You you, you can't do that. Uh, and tonight it's going to be even more difficult. And if they lose tonight, guess what? You've got South Panola. You've got Clinton all right behind them that are in there's four playoff spots and there's you know five teams in competition somebody's going to be left at home uh, so Madison Central is one of those teams that is in a very dangerous spot right now and we've Let- mentioned how many different times that it's been this kind of odd year at the beginning of it you thought Madison Central was an obvious pencil them into a playoff spot and now yeah. here they are kind of fighting for yeah. one Let's do this. Let's start at 1A and work our way up. And and just give me a storyline or a team to watch or a game that we need to be focused on. We spend so much time every week and you know talking about 6A and, and 5A, and with good reason. I mean, there are big storylines, and obviously that's where you've got the majority of the teams and the majority of the interest. But we know we've got stations and fans all over the state of Mississippi of schools of all different sizes. So let's start at 1A and work our way up to 6A and give me either one storyline, one player, one game that we need to be watching for tonight. I would say in 1A, one Stephen has a, a, an actual game, but I'd say one storyline to look forward to is that you got some teams that are ending their season tonight Wow, who began their season at the beginning of this month. Um, that's not a whole lot of games, folks. So if you have the opportunity to go to a game, please do, because you got some teams out there who don't have – their fans out there just don't have that opportunity to go to – uh, see their team play because they're playing so few team, uh, so few games, and of course you got a lot of teams out there not playing at all. And so starting in one A, I'll give you the Richton at Lumberton game. Lumberton yeah. five and one. Nanawaya is the defending one A champs. They've been the defending champs for the last couple years now. Lumberton lost their opening game to Bay Springs, I believe it was, in pretty convincing fashion. And all of a sudden, you kind of figured, all right, Nanawaya will still be the team to beat. Lumberton rattled off five wins in a row, though, and here they are as a prime player in 1A. And now they're going to take on Richton tonight, who is 1-3, but still Lumberton a chance to win six in a row. Trying to go six straight. Big one there. Digging deep into the archives. I like it, uh, I like it guys. What about 2A? Uh, I'd say Taylorsville, Enterprise, Clark. Taylorsville five and one. They've got Ty Keys, um, the star quarterback, uh, who has just done you know some amazing things over the course of his career. I think he won a state championship his freshman year, uh, and they've been in the state championship game every single year since he's been there. They lost, I think, uh, two years ago, um, but just an incredible player. And there's like five kids on that team who have the name. T. Dot Keys. When you look at the stat line, so it's yeah. kind of confusing. You think he's all over the place. It's actually, I guess, his cousins or maybe his brothers. I don't know. But they're t- taking on Enterprise Clark tonight, who's undefeated five and zero. That could be fun. The only loss on the year for Taylorsville coming to West Jones a couple of weeks ago. So obviously, that's been a really good team. We jump up from two A to three A. What stands out there? We're going to go Nettleton at Amory. Nettleton 5-0, Amory 5-1. Both of these teams tied atop uh, Region 1 of 3A. So as we start to look forward to kind of the playoff picture as a whole, uh, these kind of games late in the season are going to be deciding factors in some of these regions. So Nettleton Is that a rivalry game? 
Uh, yeah, it, it kind of is. You know, Amory's big rivalry is Aberdeen. That's the A game. But Nettleton's, okay. they, I think they play just about every year. Uh, they're in the same region, so now, so they play every year. And they're, you know, fairly close, so I would say it is. Another storyline for 3A football is Region 8 of 3A. Uh, region 8 is, it's like the SEC West would be. Uh, it's stacked. <laughs> Okay, uh, you've got two undefeated teams right now. McGee, we ta- we're talking about South Mississippi, right? Yeah, South Mississippi. You've got okay. McGee and Columbia. They're both undefeated. You've got uh, is it uh, West uh, West Marion, who's four and two, very good team. And you've also got uh, on top of all that, you've got the defending three A state champ Jeff Davis County in there. So that's an incredibly packed region. We always talk about Region Two of six A as you know being you know. The toughest pound for pound. Well, I think Region uh, Eight of Three A football. I think that's the toughest this year, pound for pound. Good to know. What about Four A? Oh, Lewisville and uh, is it West Lauderdale? Yes. Yeah, I think that one is uh, is a good one because Lewisville is one of those teams that every year they're going to play all those teams in that Golden Triangle area, West Point, Startville. Well, this year they played Startville to, I think it was the second game of the season. That is the closest anyone has played the number one team in the state this year. That is 4A Startville. They lost by 10 points to the, uh, or, sorry, uh, 4A Lewisville. They lost by 10 points to the number one team in the state, Startville. Uh, in the second game of the season, as the closest anybody's played Startville this year, uh, they're five and one right now. Louisville is tonight. They're going to take on West Lauderdale, who has two losses on the year. One loss being to Neshoba Central, the top team in five A. The other loss being to a, a one point loss to Tupelo, who's a six A team. Yeah, they have uh, they have not been able to punch or not been afraid to punch uh, above their weight class just no. a little bit, uh, at least figuratively speaking. All right, Gags, five A. 5A, we're going to go West Jones at Laurel. West Jones undefeated so far this season. Laurel 2-3, and three, but a surging 2-3. and three. And that's because they got running back Xavier Evans back, who in a state that is loaded at running back talent this year, Xavier Evans may just be the best one. Although you've got Marquise Crosby at PCS, who's actually leading the nation in rushing this year. So... Xavier Evans had five second-half touchdowns in last week's win over Natchez. They won that game 57-38. So I think Xavier Evans could be a difference maker in this one, and Laurel has a chance to upset West Jones Jones tonight. Luke Johnson was talking talking to us about this game a little while ago. Kept saying, between the bricks. Yes, Laurel. Yep. There you go. So the uh, West Jones and the Laurel Tornadoes getting after it. Anything else in 5A? We'll, we'll go to 6A after the uh, break and kind of look at uh, what's happening there. You've already mentioned a couple of 6A teams. Anything else in 5A stand out right now? I, I guess the game that's not happening, and that's South Panola taking on Neshoba Central, the top team in 5A. We're going to have South Panola, the University of South Panola, playing the top team in 5A tonight. Well, that game's not happening. Uh, South Panola has some COVID stuff going on, so they canceled that game uh, last week. I, it's really disappointing because the top running back uh, in the public schools, I would say, is Jarquez Hunter. Uh, we were getting to see him take on Ricky Woods' defense. I, I was really looking forward to that game. That would have been my top game of the week, to be honest with you, if it was going on. But since it's not happening, it's unfortunate. But that that was another storyline that's going on. I think uh, who else do we have? West Point is going to have to try to you know figure out what's going. I can't believe I'm saying this, but they got to they got to write the ship. 
Uh, they have a loss in regional play. First time since 2015 that has happened. They're taking on Grenada tonight, who's 3-2. and two. All right. Well, we will uh, get into 6A. We'll also take a look at what's coming up on the uh, high school football preview show. Don't forget the Mississippi Farm Bureau Insurance Company's scoreboard show will come your way tonight starting at uh, 10 o'clock. We'll run until 1130. Stephen Gagliano will host that with the entire crew bouncing around the entire state of Mississippi, getting reports from games, from announcers, from some parents, from some coaches uh, that will call in. You don't want to miss that 10 until 1130 tonight on Super Talk Mississippi across the entire Magnolia State. We'll be back. Stephen Gagliano and Will East will continue with us as we take a look at what's happening on the high school gridiron tonight. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. Yay, Alabama. The question is, will Nick Saban be on the sidelines to hear the million-dollar band? We will not know that until tomorrow, but there is a chance. Continuing our high school football conversation with Will East and Stephen Gagliano. Scoreboard show from Mississippi Farm Bureau Insurance Companies coming your way tonight starting at 10 o'clock. It will roll until 11.30. You don't want to miss that for a recap of all the action tonight in the state of Mississippi. Will, what are we going to preview tonight coming up at uh, 6 o'clock immediately after we get finished here on Sports Talk Mississippi? Uh, the preview show will actually take a look back. We're going to look back at last week's uh, top performers. Uh, just some incredible numbers, Richard, from some of these running backs. Uh, Mississippi's always been you know, blessed with a lot of uh, great running back talent. Well, last week it was really put on show. We had uh, several players – you know, go over 300 yards uh, rushing. One he, uh, uh, Stephen Gagliano, just mentioned was Xavier Evans. Had 400 yards uh, in his comeback performance, and he had five second half touchdowns to lead Laurel to a comfort behind victory over Natchez last week. But the star of the show last week was a kid from Presbyterian Christian. Uh, his name is Marquise Crosby. And he had 502 yards rushing, six touchdowns on just 34 carries. I think the math works out to a little bit over 14 yards per carry. And it's the third. I, I looked through the records. I, the MHSA has got to do a better job of coming up with putting these records <laughs> online because you can't find them. Uh, I searched and searched and searched, and I think it's the third best performance ever as far as rushing yards in a game by a Mississippi uh, high school running back. How many carries did he have? 34. 34 carries. Wow. That is a big night at the office. All right, now help me help me with my history. Isaiah Woolard yep. is the all-time leading rusher. He played at? PCS. That's what I thought. I think – is he the Something... all-time leading rusher? When he finished high school, he was the all-time leading rusher okay. in Mississippi history. Okay. That may, it's possible that that's been a clip since then, uh, but I remember that. Uh, that, well, being that, the case. that hasn't been that long ago. Uh, no, you know Don Ragsdale, who played at Pisgah right. around the same time, he was up there. Uh, so you, you've got some some record-making players out there, and like um, Stephen said earlier, uh, this Crosby kid, he's leading the nation right now in rushing yards. Yeah, just under 2,300 yards and 27 touchdowns so far. Wow. And they do end their season. Tonight they play Jackson Academy, then they have to play MRA, then they have to play Jackson Prep. So he will end his season against three of the better defenses in the private school side of things. So I'm really curious to see how he plays tonight and the rest of the way. 
That's crazy. I feel like we've been talking about Don Ragsdale for a decade. We talked about him when yeah. he was in high school, lighting up high school fields. Yeah. We talked about him last year all season long with what he was doing at, uh, at the junior college level and uh, spent some time talking about him early this year at uh, at Southern Mississippi. All right, so we walked through 1A through 5A. We kind of started the conversation today with 6A. You mentioning, Will, how big a game Madison Central had. What else in 6A do we need to be looking at tonight? I think one of the big games is in Region 3 of 6A where the the biggest surprise maybe of the season uh, is Northwest Rankin. Uh, they are doing incredible this year. I think they have one yeah. loss on the season. Tonight they're going to take on pedal. Now, the bad news for Northwest Rankin is that it gets much more difficult after this. They'll take on Pearl. They'll take on Brandon. They'll take on Oak Grove to end the regular season. Uh, the good news for Pedal is that their schedule gets much more manageable after this. Uh, I think they have three games left, and between the three teams they have left, I think those teams have one combined or three combined wins. So uh, that is a, a you know a game that could really see the table flip if Pedal is able to do what they did last week, and that's basically shut Brandon down. They won that game twenty-one to zero. They might have some momentum and, and eke out a, a playoff spot for Northwest Rankin. They got to keep on keeping on because there's a lot of teams right behind them in the standings. Uh, so that's Region Three of Six A. I would say in Region Four of Six A, it's not a marquee game, but it's one that I'm very interested in, and that's Harrison Central taking on Gulfport. Harrison Central's undefeated. They're another big surprise this year. Uh, and then Gulfport, who's had one of the weirdest seasons ever. They started off the year losing to Oak Grove, the number two team in the state. They then played Picayune, one of the top teams in 5A. They lost that game by about seven points. And then the wheels came off. They played Brandon, a game that was originally not scheduled to play. They had to do some stuff. They lost that game by f- in four overtimes. And then they had to uh, forfeit two games because of COVID. And they just hadn't been able to get it out of gear. And so they're playing uh, Harrison Central tonight. There you go. That's a uh, pretty good look at uh, what's happening all over the state. Am I, has Gulfport always been the Admirals? I, as far as I know. Yeah. Okay. I think so. I think you're right. Is there a team on the coast who's got Gators as a mascot? Or is uh, it just that Gulfport's Gauthier. colors are the same as the Gators? Gauthier. There it is, the Gauthier Gators. See, you guys are uh, Well, I hate it. Well, gave that one, yeah. Yeah, a wealth of information. Thanks, fellas. Thank you. Don't forget, scoreboard preview show when we uh, get finished. They'll look back at the outstanding performances from last week and the Mississippi High School Football Insurance Company's, eh, whatever, Mississippi Farm Bureau scoreboard show coming up at 10. Here we go, 5 o'clock hour, last hour of the work week, at least the Monday through Friday work week with you, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad. They've just kicked off in New Orleans. Number 17, SMU, playing at Tulane. Tulane's got such a great bevy of uniforms, and yet they went with all black with green helmets tonight. Not their best look. Not when they've got that fantastic white helmet with a big wave on the side of it, but hey, that's just me. Everybody's entitled to uh, their own opinion. Thanks for being with us. You want to be part of the show? We'd love to hear from you in this 5 o'clock hour on the C Spire text line, 
601-879-4395. We've been telling you for a while that uh, you can get $100 off the iPhone of your choice online at cspire.com and also in your local cspire store. Well, I got an email this morning. There was an opportunity on this day only if you're a current cspire customer or you're adding a line to get an iPhone 12 on cspire with a trade in. It's a pre-order situation. Check out their website, cspire.com, and find out all the details. Pretty exciting stuff with the new iPhone 12 coming out. All right, guys, it is time for us to jump into the college football fix. Today for the college football fix, we'll get to two questions. We remind you that it's brought to you every day by your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to the website, buyfordnow.com, and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford tough. But don't stop there. Go visit your local Mississippi Ford dealer and test drive the F-150, the Ranger, or Super Duty. You don't want to miss out on this opportunity. All right, Michael Borky, your favorite time of the week. Two questions. Ole Miss absolutely must do what? if they want to beat Arkansas in Fayetteville tomorrow. Ole Miss must continue its momentum offensively. They didn't score on every single possession last week against Alabama, but they did darn near. They uh, were, were outstanding. They've been diverse offensively. They ran the football. They threw it through the air. They just got to keep rolling. It's not like they were able to jump on the waiver wire and pick up a bunch of uh, you know midseason helpers on the defensive side. They kind of are what they are defensively. They got to come up with a few stops, but more than anything, if Ole Miss is going to win, they've got to be who they are, and who they are is a dynamic offensive team. Yeah, along those same lines, uh, mine is get a stop or two early. And just find a way to get off the field without giving up points in the first half of the football game because. Although the offense has scored at will for three consecutive weeks, there will come a day where that doesn't happen. As good and talented as they are, there will be a day where they don't score on every single possession. I'm sure it would be nice for them if you took a little bit of the pressure off and got a stop or two. Because I think if you get a stop or two early, you can really set the tone in that game. Because I don't think Arkansas, even with how bad of your bad of a defense that you have. I don't think Arkansas can score with you. So if you find a way to get a stop early, it'll be a track meet, but one that you're ahead of instead of one that you're chasing from behind like they've done for three consecutive weeks. Hey, Dad, what's Ole Miss got to do? Borky stole mine. Two defensive stops. That's all you need. You're going to score almost every time you have the ball. Two stops where you don't give up points, you'll win the football game. All right. Ole Miss absolutely cannot do what? if they want to win the game tomorrow. They can't turn it over, and that's what they've been so good at. Only one turnover all season long. It happened on a batted ball uh, at the line of scrimmage in the first half of the season opener against Florida. Matt Corral's protected the football. The running backs have protected the football. They've not shot themselves in the foot with turnovers. You want to beat Arkansas, that can't start this week. Cannot turn it over if, uh, if you want to win. Mine was get beat by running the football. It forced the ball into Felipe Franks' hands. I know he was successful last week. Had a really good game against Auburn a week ago. He was okay against Mississippi State. It, you know, that's relatively speaking. He was okay. Effective enough. 
If he beats you, then you tip your cap and say, we just lost that day. But if you are going to get beat, do not let it be by giving up 400 yards on the ground to Arkansas. This is the worst offensive line you've seen so far this year. Rakeem Boyd being back throws a a wrench into some things. And this is by far not the best quarterback you have seen all year long. So it's time for the defense to, to... Prove that maybe they are getting better week to week. Last week wasn't the best litmus test. But you have to, at some point, have some pride in yourself. And don't let Arkansas run up and down the field on you. Because if they do, you're in trouble. If you find a way to force the ball into Felipe Franks' hands, you do have a better chance at winning the game. All right. Hey, Dad? Uh, Ole Miss can't give Arkansas hope early. I said that for about the Mississippi State game two weeks ago, and that's yeah. exactly what State went out and did. They threw a pick six on the first drive. Arkansas goes up 7 nothing, and they started to believe, and they, they carried that belief the whole rest of the game. Don't do anything, sort of what Richard said, don't turn the ball over and give them a, an early you know, good field position or, or a touchdown or anything like that. Squash them out early. Go up 14 nothing, and then play, for, play cruise control the rest of the way. There you go. Mississippi State absolutely has to do what if they want to pull the upset at home tomorrow? I'm adding an addendum to this. You can't say don't turn the ball over or turn not turn the ball. You can't talk about turnovers. Okay. That, I, that is way too obvious at this point. Um, Mississippi State must limit Isaiah Spiller. Uh, he is one of the better running backs in the conference. I think it's sort of the same game plan you had last weekend. You're going to have to. I, Mon's a better passer than Terry Wilson by far. But I, I would feel better about the game plan if it's to limit Mond as a runner, limit Spiller, and keep keep Mond in the pocket trying to beat you with the passing game. Uh, State's been really good against the run. They need to keep that up this weekend. Mississippi State, if they're going to win tomorrow, has got to create some confidence for themselves early in the ball game. They were flying so high after the game against LSU, and it felt like they could do anything they wanted offensively. But they've got to be questioning themselves a little bit after the uh, the offensive performances in the last two weeks, and I know some of those things are turnovers-related, uh, but they just need to come out and they need to have a good first drive. They need to have a good first couple of drives in the game and remind themselves that, oh, yeah, we're capable of catching the football. We're capable of running after the catch. We're capable of picking up a first down when it's there to be picked up. Mississippi State needs some good things to happen early so that they can remember and believe that they are a team that is capable of putting points on the board. Agree with that. Don't turn the football over. I know you said it, <laughs> but they're they're bad turnovers away from three and zero. I mean, that's really that's the difference in the last two weeks. It, the the score is deceiving. If you didn't watch Mississippi State Kentucky, you think that oh, what's a couple of turnovers doesn't matter. They got blown out. No, the the timing in the place and the result of those turnovers was the difference in that game. So I know it's the the thing you're supposed to avoid, but it's really that simple. They're bad turnovers away from three and zero. Don't don't force the ball where it does not belong. Whoever lines up at quarterback tomorrow. Okay. Mississippi State absolutely cannot do what, turn the football over, if they want to upset Texas A&M at home tomorrow. It's basically what Richard said. They can't fall behind too early in the game. They they do need confidence. The analogy I made on the podcast was, you know, it's like a, a three-point shooter who's in a slump. Once he sees the ball go in the basket, it tends to, to normalize itself and he gets back to, to scoring. That's what State needs to do. They need to score early. If the game is tied at the end of the first quarter or if State could somehow be up, I think they have a great chance to win because I still don't really know what this A&M team is. They've been sort of up and down. 
and I, I think State could have a chance to win. But if they fall, as soon as they fall behind like ten nothing, everybody in the stadium is going to have the same thought: it's over. They can't get ten points, and, and I think that'll that'll translate to the team as well. So they need confidence early, so they can't fall behind early. Mississippi State can't replicate SMU to start this game against Tulane. A muff punt after a uh, three and out that led to a touchdown, and then just muffed there a kickoff. There you go, same thing. And they're going to start at their own eight. Um, no, that's not what I'm going with. Mississippi State cannot lose its defensive identity. We thought the identity of this football team was going to be offense. That has not been the case. The defense has been the identity of this football team. Zach Arnett, those guys up front, those linebackers kind of performing in sync together. The coverage down the field has been good. They have been good enough in the last two games to win, and yet they find themselves 0-2 in the last two games. Mississippi State cannot lose that identity that they've got on defense and the confidence that they have built that they can stop anybody on the defensive side that they've had for the last two weeks. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, that was two questions. The best content item of the week, every week of the football season. We got a text I like from it. Murray and Madison who says, got to get Hill involved on offense. If that's your key, I got bad news for you. I don't expect Kylan Hill to play tomorrow. At all? No. Ooh. Jeff says KJ Costello can't be scared to run the football a couple yards in order to move the chains, even if he has that's to take a, a hit. Mike in Oxford says Mississippi State must start Will Rogers. Nah, it's not going to happen. You don't think Kylan Hill's going to play in the game tomorrow? Will, will he dress? I don't believe so. Wow. Breaking news, perhaps. We'll see. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. We've got some picks to make when we come back. I hear you fights on Friday. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. All of a sudden, the C Spire text line is lighting up. 601-879-4395. It's lighting up because uh, Mr. Haydad dropped uh, just a little bit of a bomb on us there as we were wrapping up two questions. Uh, I would have said more. We're up against the break. We're happy yeah, to talk I, about I, it now. Though. I think we don't have a break, and uh, probably we should uh, talk a little bit more. You said just a moment ago that you do not think that Kylan Hill is going to play for Mississippi State. I asked you dress and not play or not dress, and you said you don't think he's going to dress tomorrow? Don't think he's going to. I, I think – I don't know if suspension's the right word. Uh, it's not for anything, you know, criminally related or anything like that. It's, 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 it's. I think it's sort of a. I don't know if attitude is the right thing or not, but it's going back to what Leach said after the the, the Kentucky game. Then he re, he hit it up again on Monday's press conference. I, I think that Kylan Hill is, is is part of this situation that they want to you know try to clean up some attitudes, and I, I just don't expect them to be playing tomorrow. Mike Leach has used the word. Um, to use the word malcontent. Is that, is yeah. that what he said uh, after the game so, yeah. and uh, talked about purging and getting buy-in? Um, the, don't think it's a long-term thing either. I don't. I don't. Well, I don't, and that's what but, I wanted to. That's, that's what I was going to ask. I mean, you, 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 if you indeed make a move like this, there is you're you're doing a couple of things. One, you're telling your team this is how it's going to be. I'm the boss. And I'm going to make the call, and if we have to sit the best player, the most talented player on the team, we will do that. There is also risk that it doesn't go the way you want. I mean, you, what you would like to do, I'm assuming, and, and we are making some assumptions here, is send a message. And, and you want that message not only to get home to your team, but you want the message, if indeed this is the case, to get home to Kylan Hill. And there's a little bit of a risk in that, that if it doesn't 
go the way you want it to, then you are, you know, things could potentially go south. Yeah. Yeah, you, you, you definitely it's, it's definitely a gamble you're going to have to take, um, but it's apparently one that Mike Leach is going to take. So, like I said, when we get into our picks, I, I, we can go in. I, I was going to – I didn't know when we were going to have to bring it up, but that, that that's where we are right now, that I expect Jaquavius Marks to start at tailback for Mississippi State tomorrow, and he and Dylan Johnson will uh, will get the bulk of the work. Hey, Dad, the reality is in the running game, it probably doesn't make that much difference because Mississippi State is not running the football. But if you rewind to the LSU game, the leading receiver in the game, and the guy that gives you a chance to really make plays after the catch is Kylan Hill, he hasn't really filled that role as much in the last two weeks. Right. Despite the fact that he got, what, 22 touches last week? I did not realize he set a MSU school record for catches in a game last week, 15 catches. Mm. That's a new uh, MSU record. But only. I but think, wasn't what, it like 70, it was like fifteen catches for what seventy yards or seventy nine like yards? That? Yeah, something like that. So, uh, and the week before that, Marks and Johnson combined for eighteen catches. I mean, that's what this offense has sort of been relegated to is just dumping the ball off out of the backfield. That that first game, you know, I think a lot of that was more due to what LSU was doing defensively than anything else. Uh, now, Marks and, and Dylan Johnson both have big playability. So if you can get them out into some space where they're they're you know catching the ball in stride and moving forward, they, they can make some big plays for you. But, you know, it's definitely going to be something to, to, to keep an eye on without Kylan Hill because, I don't know, two weeks ago I, I watched State on offense and I thought, okay, well, if Kylan Hill were in there, this might be a little bit different story. But then they were the same last week. So shaking it up might not may not be as big a deal as you want. I, I still think Kylan Hill is a very talented player, a really good tailback, one of the best running backs in the SEC when everything's clicking for him. But right now everything's not clicking for him. William in Greenville says, good for Mike Leach. We get a message that says, Hill doesn't deserve to play. Johnson will accomplish way more than Hill dreamed of. Uh, Mike in Oxford. um, Let's see. Jason says, that goof talking about Mike Leach has suspended our best player because his offense is more predictable than the rising sun, and he's too stubborn to make any alterations. Um... Greg says, I told you guys Monday about that guy. So a, a lot of – I, I, I want to say something that might not be popular, and it might not even be accurate. You, you can you, – feel free, hey, Dad, to, to correct me on this if you don't think what I'm saying is accurate. There are a lot of people that were that, – that did not like the stance that Kylan Hill took this summer with, with regard to the state flag. We applauded it. I mm-hmm. – I still applaud it. Yeah. I don't think this is related to that, even though there are a lot of people that are like, good, glad he's not playing because they didn't like some of the stances that he took politically or in the name of social justice over the summer. Do you think that that's accurate, that these things are not related, or do you think there is some relation between the two? I'll say this, and this might be unpopular too. But, you know, Leo Lewis as a freshman – was a really, really good linebacker. And then he just never really was the same after that. And I've always thought that him having to wake up every day at Twitter and seeing a bunch of messages like, I hope you get in a car wreck and die today, probably affected his psyche just a little bit. But that was from the opposing fans. This, a lot of the hate for Kylan Hill this year has come from MSU fans, his own people. And that has got to be a bitter pill to swallow, I would think. So I don't know that it's connected. But I would be surprised if there wasn't some – that has to weigh on a person at some point, right? If you wake up every day 
So it may be connected in his head, but not necessarily related to this particular... Not to the suspension, but I mean, that might be part of the reason that mentally he's not where he wants to be right now. Okay. Hmm. Certainly big news. And... You know, I mean, there's a question. If Kylan Hill doesn't play, what outcome or what? Uh, how does that affect the game? You know, does, does it affect Mississippi State? Or are they – is it addition by subtraction? If Mike Leach is not getting what he wants in terms of effort and production out of the guy that is arguably the best player on the team? Or is it something where it's subtraction by subtraction? And I guess we don't know the answer to that and really won't know the answer to that until 6.30 or so tomorrow night when that one comes to an end. Yeah. I mean, at first thought, you know, that he wasn't very productive last week. He was incredibly productive in week one. Week two, obviously, he was injured. So, you know, I, I don't know that from a number standpoint it's going to be that big of a difference. Um, but at the same time, I mean, that's a guy that you were counting on preseason. And you know the talent is there. So... We'll see. Find out, uh, like you said, by the end of the day Saturday. And, and so reaction is kind of all over the board, as you might expect. Here's one that says, fire Mike Leach. Oh, come on. Yeah, $5.2 million a year. I don't see that happening Well, I mean, never soon. mind that. It was just, just a few months ago we were talking about, you know, having a culture problem and no accountability. Now there's accountability and they won't fire that. I mean, come on, guys. Uh, here's one that says, it's a lot on the college kid's head and how I applaud what he did to stand up for what he believed in. He had to know that the backlash uh, it was going to bring. Tom in Carthage says he's a scholarship player at Mississippi State on scholarship to play football. Nobody gives a crap about his social justice attitude. Well, um, probably true about everybody, but go ahead. Jason says, I'm not on board with folks hating on that kid over the flag thing. Uh, here's one that says an attitude like Hill has will ruin a program. He has a big head from what he accomplished with the flag and think that gives him the right to play, and it doesn't. I don't think that's it at all. Yeah. I, you He's would expect... not the first player to – I mean, sometimes this happens with new coaches, but there were a handful of players that did leave the program before this season, too. Maybe it just doesn't fit with the current head coach in this player in particular. Doesn't mean he's a bad kid or anything like that. Maybe it just doesn't work. A handful of other players left as well. That happens sometimes when there is coaching turnover, but it doesn't have to be this. And it's just people that are looking for confirmation bias for not liking what he did about the state flag, but maybe he and Mike Leach just don't mesh. That Leach has an approach, and it doesn't work on this kid. And they just butt heads like oil and water, and it's never going to mix, and so this is what's happening. And and Borky, that could be the case on multiple levels. I mean, that could be the case on the field and off the field. Yeah. And I don't think that's the case. I I think this is just a situation for Kylan right now. I I think that he is a coachable kid. I think he is a good football player. I expect to see him back at, at some point, maybe even at, when they play Alabama. You know, they have the bye week next weekend. But right this weekend for, for now, no. There is one more layer to this I, I've got to ask you about, and I'm not trying to belabor the point here, but I'm, I'm curious how Kylan Hill is perceived by his teammates in the locker room and what yeah. the, the team's reaction if indeed he is required to sit tomorrow, uh, how the team will respond to that. That's another one that we'll have to sort of find out uh, when we get to the end of the game and we can talk to some players because 
it hasn't come up this week. You know, when we talked to players on Tuesday, this wasn't as I don't think this was uh, being reported or is uh, starting to come out. And by the time we got to Wednesday, you know, just it was a little too late for that. Yeah. So hopefully, you know, it, it'll definitely be a question that gets asked though on uh, on Saturday. Yeah, certainly, uh, certainly so. All right, we've got some picks to make. Hey, Dad's got some ground to make up. We'll see if he will be a contrarian in his picks this week. Uh, somebody said that I was doing him a disservice because I was making him pick first and then was making my picks based on that. Um, I'm not the one that's in dead last. Well, you could by be a significant him, margin. I guess, is what he's trying to say. Yeah. I guess, uh, yeah. <laughs> I have already written down what my five picks will be, so I'm not going to waver – We'll, uh, we'll get those coming up. You got your uh, quarter ready to go, hey, Dad? It's, it's right here, just in case I need it. Sports Talk Mississippi. Week, Picks are coming up next. Back with you, C Spire text line quickly, then we're going to jump into our picks. I respect what Hill did for the state and school when it comes to the flag, but you got to think that gave him a little bit of a power trip. Sounds to me like it's coach. Uh... Sounds to me it's coach does this with me or else type situation. That may be the case. Um, Gavin says it would be nice if this was being discussed as fact versus speculation. Jeez, guys. Gavin, I, mean, I, I, tot- I totally agree with you, Gavin. And if I can get if I could get confirmation from the university, I would. But I'm going to tell you that out. Yeah, I, I'm going to tell you this about Brian Haydad. He he and I have had conversations about not this particular issue but about big, important issues. If we tell you something on this radio show, or if Hey Dad tells you something on his podcast, and it's not couched as a prediction, we're not just throwing stuff at the wall to see if something spits, see if something sticks. Yeah. Michael Borky's the exact same way. If, if we quote-unquote report something, it's not because we're trying to grab a rating it's not because we're trying to be gotcha guys, and it's not because we are hot take or shock jock type people. That's not how we operate. That's never how anyone on this program has ever operated. And all three of us kind of bring equal parts to this show, but I'm, I'm, I'm here to tell you, as long as I'm on this show, that will never be how we operate. Yeah. And one other thing before we get into the picks. If somebody from MSU is listening – and they want to text me right now and say, hey, you're way off. He's dressing out tomorrow. He's going to play. I'll be more than happy to admit that I was a complete idiot. I'll say that. So, yeah. But I don't expect that text to come. Okay. All right, let's jump into our picks. We've only got five games this week instead of seven games. And as I said, I have already written my picks down. I will not be swayed one way or another by what Brian Haydad or what Michael Borky says. I did that one time last week. It bit me. I said I was going to be a contrarian just for the sake of being a contrarian. I took Vanderbilt. That was dumb. Instead of South Carolina, I'm not doing it again. Game number one kicks off at 11 a.m. Auburn is a a two-and-a-half-point favorite at South Carolina. Guys, I'll, I'll go first. I'll lead us off. I'm going to take South Carolina. I don't trust either of these teams. I don't trust either of these coaching staffs, but I really have not been very impressed with Auburn. And it feels like South Carolina is kind of moving in the right direction offensively. Not only will I take uh, South Carolina to cover, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that the wrong team is favored. South Carolina plus the two and a half, they win it outright. 
That's my pick as well. I think it's the wrong team favorite. Here's a guy that none of you have ever heard of, Kevin Harris. If you remember, South Carolina lost their two leading rushers from a year ago, Tavian Feaster and Rico Dowdle. And then they bring in this five-star that everybody thinks is going to be the next guy, and then he tears his ACL when the season begins, and suddenly South Carolina's without a running back. Well, they found one over the last couple of weeks. Didn't give him the ball much against Tennessee. They have fixed that problem. Over 20 carries in two consecutive weeks. He's over 100 yards in two consecutive weeks. Colin Hill hadn't turned the football over the last couple of weeks as well. He looks better. And by the way, Bo Nix is one of the worst quarterbacks in the SEC while under pressure. And he is one of the most pressured quarterbacks in the SEC. So, bad combination there. South Carolina is going to get to him and force him into mistakes. They're going to feed this running back that nobody's ever heard of, and they're going to win the game at home. Hey, Dad, I know that you are not uh, the biggest vegetable guy in the world. We're asking you here to pick between asparagus and Brussels sprouts. Oh, sprouts all day. Are you kidding? First off, that's two vegetables I actually really like. Okay. Uh, but We're asking you but to these are two teams that, as you know, I absolutely do not like. I don't like Muschamp. I don't like Malzahn. This is the Haydad Bowl. Who gets to get the most Haydad hate on Monday? I think Auburn's just better than South Carolina. I'll, I'll, I guess a chance to make up a little ground here. I'll, I'll take Auburn and give the points. There you go. Kentucky is at Tennessee. Tennessee is a six-and-a-half-point favorite. You heard Bruce Marshall say earlier today another low-scoring game. He had Tennessee winning close but not covering. I think I'm going to go the other way. I just think there's more there with Tennessee right now. You know how much I love this Kentucky offensive line. I'm not super confident in this pick. I do think it's going to be low scoring, but I'll take Tennessee to win this game by a touchdown, something in like the 24-17 range, which is enough to cover the six and a half. I have no clue. I mean, I've thought about it. I've looked looked it up. I've thought about it. I've thought about it. Uh, what I've learned, or what I what it's come down to for me, is the ability to score, right? I mean, that's how you win a football game. You have to score points to do it. But Tennessee really likes to throw the football down the field. Even though Garantano's inconsistent, one of the most, as far as percentage-wise, Tennessee throws the ball downfield almost more than everybody in the SEC, save for Ole Miss and Florida. So they're going to test Kentucky vertically, and Kentucky's susceptible vertically. So I think I'm going to take Tennessee in this game for that reason because they're going to test Kentucky and they will probably pass that test based on examples that we have. I didn't like what I saw from Kentucky last week. Wasn't impressed at all. I think Tennessee, you know, Georgia's just a really, really good team. Tennessee showed in the first half they could punch. They just ran out of gas and ran out of, uh, out of plays in the second half. I think they'll win this game pretty easily. I'll take I'll take Tennessee and give the points. All right. Ole Miss at Alabama. Ole Miss is a one. And, I'm sorry, at Arkansas. Ole Miss at Arkansas. Ole Miss a one and a half point favorite. The totals up in the mid seventies for this ball game. I'll let you guys go first on this one. I feel like uh, Greg Sankey. If he's going to find Ole Miss, he doesn't have to take it this far. But um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, I misspoke. Um, one of them has is better equipped to win a shootout than the other, although Ole Miss's defense makes everybody equipped to play well in a shootout. I do think Ole Miss, the offensive personnel, will lead them to a very close, very high-scoring win in Fayetteville. Yeah, okay. the over is a very safe bet here. It's one and a half, is that right? 
One and a half. I mean, at that point, it's just a pick them, right? I don't think Arkansas is going to win, so I'll take the take the Rebels and 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 uh, give the points. My my prediction is actually forty five thirty five Ole Miss. Wrong team favored, and your score is close, but it's not exactly right. Forty five thirty one. Ole Miss wins it by two touchdowns tomorrow. Defense actually makes a play or two. I think uh, I think you could see a couple of interceptions from Ole Miss in the ball game. Offense continues to click. Ole Miss by two touchdowns. Hogman, I am setting you up for a great big fat. I told you so on Monday. If I'm wrong, I will wear it, but I don't think I'm wrong on this one. Texas A&M five point favorite at Mississippi State tomorrow. Texas A&M coming off uh, a pretty impressive home win against the Florida Gators last week. The offense got going in the second half. I think Texas A&M is going to have a little more success against Mississippi State's defense than Kentucky did, than Arkansas did. I got Texas A&M winning this game. Uh, I'm going to say 31-24, a touchdown win, 31-24. Hey, Dad, frowning like that's way too many points in this game. Yeah. I think it is. First okay. off, let's do. Let's, if I, I play the rumor mill for state, let's play it for Texas A and M. That line okay. has dropped to four at some places. There's some rumors that there may Somebody be some, some COVID. Something. There might be some COVID outages for the Aggies on uh, Saturday. We'll have to wait and see on that. Okay. Um, State's good defensively, but they're not good offensively. They're in full prove it mode there. Uh, the under is probably another safe bet here, but I've got Texas A and M winning. I'll give. I'll give the points. I have it twenty three seven. Texas A and M. Twenty-three to seven. Yeah. You think State has a? Oh goodness! Is that a defensive touchdown? By the way, for Texas A&M. I'm sorry, for Might Mississippi be. State. Oh, I don't know about that. Maybe they can get in the end zone, but I just don't have any faith in that offense right now. I, I got to see them do something good before I'm going to get back on board with that. Man, I'm tempted to go contrarian on you now, but I'm not. I've already made my well, pick. I said picked. I'm not going to change yeah. it. I know. I said I'm not going to change it. Borky. A couple of things to note on this game. If Mississippi State wasn't experiencing some kind of behind-the-scenes stuff with Kylan Hill potentially not playing and, and all that good stuff, I would make a very easy pick on this game. Texas A&M is one of the worst teams in the SEC in sack rate on passing downs. One of, I think, the, the second-to-worst team in the SEC in yards after the catch, second only to Ole Miss. So they don't get after the quarterback. They give up yards after the catch. Their havoc rate is way, way, way down not a good defense. They give up explosive plays. They don't get after the quarterback. There's a chance this game is really, really close for a while because Texas A&M's defense up until this point, not good after the catch, not good at getting after the quarterback. Unfortunately, I'm leaning more towards the team that has some uh, that, that is not with apparent locker room instability, and that might be the difference. But if this is a close game and Mississippi, win- Mississippi State wins, don't be surprised. Worst team in the SEC, not named Ole Miss, after the catch on defense. It's a good stat. Good pull. So did you just pick, pick uh, Texas A&M? I did right? pick Texas A&M just because of the uncertainty and Elko is that a defensive coordinator that loves to run a lot of man. We'll see if he can get away from that tomorrow or if he Polinis himself. Georgia at Alabama. Bama's a four-and-a-half-point favorite. You're going to tell me that the best offense in the SEC only has to win by five points to cover? I'll take the Tide by a couple of touchdowns when it's all said and done. Roll Tide. Yeah, same thing. Saban, no Saban. It wouldn't have mattered to me. The line dropping made it even easier. Alabama minus four-and-a-half. Yes, please. Alabama wins, but I think it's just by by a touchdown. But I'll I'll give the points. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.